Okay, great. It's just awesome to have you guys, uh, have everybody all back together again. Today, it's, I think this is our first Sunday of the year. We're able to gather, right? The, on the first, we got pumped out because there was an event here that they forgot to tell us about. And then, and then uh, last week was a storm, but we met Saturday. It was really great to, to have everybody turn out on a Saturday night. Nearly everybody was here. But this is our first Sunday gathering, and so Happy New Year to those I hadn't had a chance to say that to yet. If you have a Bible with you, please open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Some weeks ago, I began a new series of messages on the Charlottetown Vineyards ethos and values. And I told you that an ethos is a distinctive character, spirit, or attitude of a people, culture, or era. And I've I've identified four distinctives to our ethos. I told you the first one is passion, that we're a passionate people. We love God and people in life passionately. The second is freedom, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and we're exploring the fullness of that freedom and living it out as best we can. What does that mean, <laughs> exploring the fullness of the freedom? It means we're going to go to the outer edge and then a little bit further. <laughs> Right? We're going to go to the boundaries of the boxes that, you know, the God boxes that we've constructed in most of our lives and risk and dare to go beyond the boundaries of that box. And so sometimes things will be unusual. They'll, they'll not fit into a norm or a tradition or a, a standard liturgy and we'll go with the flow. We're going to trust God. The third is spirit, third distinctive in our ethos, that we're not content to live an intellectual or academic faith only. We want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. We want to know God personally, intimately, and experientially. And the fourth, which I'll speak on today, is destiny. That we want to fulfill our God-given destinies and help others do the same. And I also have identified four values, and in the coming weeks I'll, I'll expound on them. But those four values are this. Number one is worship. Worship that touches the heart of God and inspires His people. My personal highest value. Second is the word. It's our standard. It's inerrant. It's divinely inspired. Third, relationship. Friendships that are authentic and gracious and loving and trustworthy. And the fourth one is reaching out, giving what we've got to who we can, no strings attached. So I began the series by a look on, let me just give you a quick review because it's been a few weeks since we, we were in it. But I, I began with a look at passion and I told you that the, in the Word, in Mark chapter 12, that it challenges us to love God passionately. The scripture says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. I broke that down for you that that means spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. I told you that passion is your God-given, built-in from the manufacturer, homing device to your destiny. God's given you that passion for a reason. I told you that hunger fuels passion, and passion points to destiny, and I exhorted you to dream God-sized dreams, to follow your godly passions, and that it's never too late to fulfill your God-given destiny. Next, we looked at the second distinctive which is of our ethos, which is freedom. And I told you that we are indeed free. <laughs> some of us live free, some of us don't. But we're free nonetheless. 
Jesus has already set us free, and he's done a great job. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I told you that we are, in the context of that verse, that we are free from religious rules and regulations. No matter what religious system, no matter what the world tells you, you are free from their controls. And that we are free not only from, but we're free to. We're free for. We're free to live, love, and we're free to live by the Spirit. Can you see how these, the different distinctives of this ethos, how they mesh together? I also told you that freedom comes with a responsibility, especially in the context of Galatians 5.1. And that means to remain free. That we do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I gave you this simple test. If the system that you're in employs manipulation, intimidation, shame, coercion, fear, or control to keep you in line, then that's not freedom. And I, I promise you as your pastor, I do the very best I can to not touch any of those. I want us to live free. After that, we looked at our third distinctive in our ethos, which is spirit, living supernatural lives on the power of the spirit. We took apart 1 Corinthians 14.1 as a main text to follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. We talked about following the way of love, the importance of living loved and living love. About eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. And I showed you from the scripture how it's biblical to operate in the spirit, it's essential, and it's not optional. And the text tells us very clearly, especially prophecy. And the reason for it is this, because that fosters healthy communication, better communication between us and God. Most of us as parents, we remember when the kids were really little, before they could speak, before they could effectively communicate with us. If they were sick, which parent hasn't had this experience? Having a sick child, a sick infant, and you're thinking, if they can just tell me what's wrong, right? They're crying endlessly, but we don't understand what's going on. Where there's healthy communication, there's a better relationship. That's true between parents and children, husbands and wives, between friends, coworkers. The better the communication is, the healthier the relationship. Well, prophetic gifting isn't simply for the for the purpose of ministering prophetically inside a church setting. It's really much more about living prophetic lives where we're in constant communication, regular, healthy, life-giving communication between us and God. High value for me. I told you that we are people who live supernatural lives in the Holy Spirit because Jesus told us to, because it is, isn't optional but essential and that it fosters deep relational connection. We do this by asking God, by learning from others, by taking risks, by making mistakes, and learning from them, and by choosing not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right? Too many churches, because they see some of the gifts as being messy, they decide, I don't want the mess, I'll, I'll reject the gifts. I've chosen a very different path to follow. And some of you guys are here because you've chosen that path as well. So today I want to look at the fourth distinctive of our ethos, having given you that little bit of a summary of where we've gone so far. 
And the fourth distinctive is destiny. So please follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. St. Paul's writing, and this is what he says. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Lord, I pray today that you would make me an effective communicator of your word and that it would be beneficial to your, to your people. And I pray for my friends, Lord, prepare their hearts to receive your word. Let the end result be this. If there's fruit of this message, let it be this. Make us more like Jesus. Make us more like you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay, so destiny. We'll talk about destiny this morning. We all, listen to me, we all have a God-given destiny. Every single person sitting here today has a God-given destiny. I'm convinced of it. You have a destiny. I have a destiny. Together, corporately, as a community, we have a destiny. And you might be sitting there right now thinking to yourself, how can you say that, Tom? I don't feel like I have some God-given destiny. I can understand you feeling that way. I can understand that you might be unaware of what your destiny is. But I'm here this morning, I'm here today, to encourage you with this truth. That there is absolutely a divine purpose and God-given destiny to your life. To each of our lives. Well, how can I say that? Well, let's take a look at the Word of God. That's our standard, right? Destiny scriptures. Now, it's important to me when I share the Word with you that I not take scripture out of context. I very much like to give it to you within context. I, and I want to offer you truth based upon the whole counsel of scripture, not just cherry-picking verses to support my opinion. So to that end, um, to make this point that you have a God-given destiny, I've chosen eight portions of Scripture that, that I will not expound on exhaustively, that I will just touch on briefly. Don't freak out. I've chosen eight portions of Scripture to support the position that God had forethought, forethought concerning you, concerning me, concerning us. So let's begin with my main text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's Handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Boy, that's pretty clear, right? We're God's handiwork. Some translations say God's workmanship. And he created us in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Obvious forethought. Why? The NASB says it this way, not only for us to do, that we should walk in them. That's why he prepared them. He prepared a way that we would walk in. He prepared works that we would walk in. And he did it in advance. Clear, clearly, clear and obvious from Scripture that God had forethought concerning us. But there's more. Everybody knows this verse. You've either had a bumper sticker or you've gotten it in a card, or a little magnet in your refrigerator. Anybody remember those little boxes that had scripture verses in them? Everybody's got this one. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has plans. He has plans for you. He has plans for me. And they're good plans. They're not bad plans. He doesn't have bad plans for your life. He doesn't have bad plans for my life. He has plans that would prosper us. Plans specifically noted in the scripture not to harm us. Plans to give you hope. Who needs hope today? Is there anyone here who couldn't benefit from an additional portion of hope? Plans to give you hope and a future. Clearly forethought on the part of God. I love the way the message puts Jeremiah 29.11. It says this, I know what I'm doing. I've planned it all out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Oh, yes, Lord. For me and for my friends, for all of us, oh God. Let that word be true for us. It's so good. Isn't that encouraging? Man, that's encouraging. That's a good word. More scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's a period right there. You could stop right there. That's powerful all by itself. That's a reality. That's a profound statement. And we're already blessed in the heavenly, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Are we, do we lack anything from God's perspective? Spiritually, there's no lack. I mean, that's an amazing statement. Look, let us see the reality of that in our everyday lives. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Who? I think Paul is the king of run-on sentences, or the, or the translators didn't quite know, where do we put a period, where do we put a, a, a comma? But it just kind of goes on and on. However, this is what the text clearly says. Before the world was created, before the day in creation when he put the planet in place, when he formed earth, it says he chose us before that. He chose you before he did that. He chose me before he did that. God knew then that throughout all of time, throughout all the vast expanse of the universe, that you would be here on Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown at this time. Right? He chose you ahead of time. Before the world was created, before the creation of the world, he chose you. He predestined us in his love to be adopted as his, children, as his children. Clearly forethought. I don't think we can see it any other way but that God had, had thoughts about us, had plans for us ahead of time. How about a specific one? Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5. This is God, a specific message to, to Jeremiah the prophet. This is what he tells us. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to, to the nations. Clearly forethought on the, on the part of a specific individual. If up to now you're thinking, well, yeah, he just kind of meant all people, the whole planet, all billions of us, but to a specific individual. 
God had clear and specific forethought for an individual person. Acts 10, 34 makes it clear that our God is no respecter of persons, that he does not show favoritism, that he doesn't show partiality. Hebrews 13, 8 states that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God knew about Jeremiah, he knows about you. You are not a mystery to him. He absolutely has not forgotten you. He knew today. He knew where you would be. Where you would be on the journey to your destiny. He knows. He knows you. And then there is some general destiny in the word of God communicated to all followers of Jesus. Let me remind you of a few of those texts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit, the Father's gift, promised by Jesus, given that we would be Christ's witnesses locally, regionally, and globally. Yet again, clear forethought about us on God's part. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Here is we are commissioned by God. We're given very specific responsibility to do with others what God has done with us, to give to others what God has given to us. Basically, to spiritually pay it forward. Right? To fulfill our God-given destiny, and this text makes it clear, help others do it as well. How about Ephesians chapter 4, another classic verse. Verses 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in our faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I love these verses. They're personally significant to me. Leaders are gifted by God not to lord it over their followers, but to train them and equip them, as John Wimber said, to do the stuff. And to keep on doing it for this reason. So that the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ needs to be built up. Until when? Until we all reach unity in the faith. we still got work to do. <laughs> and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We still need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what they're told to do. Attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't even know what that scale looks like. But I know we're not there yet. Tom, do you have something you want to say? Uh, if I can insert in here, I, I don't know. I, I just wanted to say that in terms of doing the stuff, last Saturday night, uh, Anthony had a sense from the Lord uh, that he was to go to Jill, who was here, and um, should 
tell her she was on the floor, her back problems were giving her trouble, so she had a, a mat, so to speak, and his word was to tell her to take up her mat and walk. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she tried it, and she was able to walk out to the car, and she wanted me to relay to him, who's not here today, that uh, as of Wednesday, the cramping in her leg had stopped. That's so it was doing the stuff. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. So that's a great testimony. So poor Jill's been struggling with back pain on and off and more on lately. And last Saturday night when we met, she's laying on the floor on a mat. And, and Anthony took a risk to do the stuff. And he went over to her and he, he said to her what, what he's read Jesus said in the Bible to another person who was somewhat incapacitated. He said, take up your mat and walk. And guess what? Jill did. She picked it up, walked out to the car. Good for her. And then by Wednesday... Um, there was a significant decrease in the cramping. Thank you for sharing that story. Thank you, love, for what you're doing in jail. And, love, we actually you touch her even now and bring complete and full healing and wholeness to her body. That's awesome. That's a great story. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, another verse that speaks to, to destiny, I believe. The entire chapter is significant of 1 Corinthians 12, so I encourage you, go home, read through it, study it, Chew on it for a while. I'm not going to take time to, to break the whole thing down, but, um, but study it for yourself. I want to take a look quickly at verses 7 to 11. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing. By that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So there are gifts given, and they're given for everyone's benefit, for the common good, right? And clearly, uh, different gifts are given to different people. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, prophecy, so on. Verse 11 says this, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. This is all determined by God. Whatever gifts you have today, whatever gifts you're going to uh, acquire further on on the journey to your destiny, these are all given by the one and the same Spirit just as He determines. Again, I think this is another text that makes it clear. There's forethought on the part of God, right? He knew you. When he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you before the foundation of the earth. He knew which gifts you would have. He knows all things. Remember hearing John Paul Jackson say once that he had this insight from God that he realized that where he was standing on the earth, that God knew the entire history of that piece of ground. What happened from, from the day of creation to the moment where, where, where he was standing there, God knew the, the entire history of that square foot of ground and that he knew the future of it as well. Everything that's happened. If God knows that about stones and, and dirt and sand, what does he know about you? What does he know about me? What does he know about us? He knows everything. 
So, I mean, I just did this quickly, ran through eight different scriptures, but can we agree that scripture makes it clear that there was forethought on the part of God, that God had forethought concerning you, that God has a plan. And if that's true, if there's forethought and a plan from God, then that's got to mean we have a destiny, that we have a God-given destiny. Why does this matter? Why do they take all this time to, to try to prove this to you from Scripture? For this reason. It means that God cares. He cares about you. He knows you, and he cares about you. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know. He understands your past better than you do it. He knows where you are right now, and he knows the future that we're clueless about. Why does it matter? Because it's one additional bit of evidence that proves that God cares. It matters because some of us have the mistaken idea that God created the earth, gave it a spin, and then disengaged from creation. And i got to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. There are some that ascribe to that. It matters because God only cares, but he cares about you. And not just the corporate you. He cares about the individual you. The incarnation is proof of this. The incarnation is proof that God did not just give the world a spin and then disengaged. He created the earth. He created the universe. But he is fully engaged. Enough to take on our flesh and come to us on our terms. And relate to us. And live with us. And sacrifice his life so that we could have restored relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's not disengaged. That's not someone who doesn't care or who is aloof. That's a God who cares. I've told you this before. Scripture makes it clear that we were created in the image of God. And all too many of us, we recreate God in the image of our earthly fathers. And sadly... Too many of us have not had good experience with our earthly fathers. Our earthly father was disengaged or aloof or just mean or absent. Maybe we were abandoned by our earthly father. And that, that daddy wound stays with too many of us. And it carries us. It carry, we carry it with us throughout our lives. And then when we begin to engage with God, we remake God. And he kind of looks like our earthly father. I want you to know today, He's not like your earthly dad. If you had a bad dad, he is not that dad. And if you had a good dad, he's even better. He's, you know, a million times, a billion times, a trillion times better than even the best of fathers. We don't have a disengaged God. We have one who's fully engaged. The incarnation is proof of that. Pentecost is proof of that. Jesus ascends and goes back, and he didn't leave us often at that point. He gave us himself in a way that was even more intimate still. He lives inside of us. He actually lives inside of you right now. Right here, right now. He's that close to you. So the goal of God is more, it's even greater than engagement. It's oneness. He wants to be one with you. 
and one with me. How do I know that? Because Jesus and the Father talked about it in John 17. And this is what Jesus said. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Listen to this. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. Wow. Not only is he not disengaged, he's so incredibly engaged that he wants us to participate in the oneness, in the intimacy of the unity that's shared between the, the Godhead, between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, to let us enter into that relationship of love. He's fully engaged. He's engaged at a greater degree than we could possibly imagine. It's proof that God cares. He cares about you. He cares about where you've been and He cares about where you're going. He cares about what you've suffered and what you struggle with. He really cares. And He loves you. Scripture makes it clear that we have God-given destinies. Now some of us may choose to walk in it or not, but we absolutely have one. So how do you discover? If, if you agree with me, if I've sold you, <laughs> that there, you, there is God-given destiny and you have one, how do we discover what the destiny is? Well, go back to my message on passion, the first distinctive of our ethos. You have a God-given, built-in, homing device to your destiny. And it's your passion. Your passions are not a mistake. Your godly passions absolutely are not a mistake. They're clues. They're a compass. They're a GPS to your destiny. So what godly passion burns inside of you? What's that fire? What's that thing that gets your motor running? What would you do even if they didn't pay you? Would you still do it? Maybe it's for ministry or business or government. Maybe it's a passion for the arts or a specific people group. Maybe it's a passion for your neighborhood. Whatever it is, my encouragement to you today is follow that passion. Maybe it's creative or innovative or unique or unusual or outside the box. It doesn't matter. Matter of fact, if, it, if that's how you would define it, all the more so, I encourage you, go for it. Because the world needs you. We need you. And God, you need to do it. We need creative, innovative, unique, unusual, outside-the-box people. I love those people. I'll do everything I can to make space for those people. I love their passion. I love their bravery. I love their courage. And I, and I want to add fuel to their fire. I don't want to be the wet blanket. I don't want to pour water on it. I want to pour gasoline on it and say, go, baby, go. I want to be the cheerleader. Jumping up and down the sidelines saying, yeah, you did it. Remember one church I passed, I passed it, we talked about creativity. We began one year, and I did a series of messages on creativity, and realizing that the first way God revealed himself to us was in creativity. And out of that series of messages, 
Um, I encourage people to explore any form of the arts. The next thing you know, a few months later, there had to be 50 paintings hanging on the walls of the church that people from the church had painted. I think, I think five books were written in that church because people felt encouraged to actually write the books. A plethora of new songs came in our worship teams. It was amazing. Right? God first expresses himself as the creator. Is it any surprise that his sons and daughters would have creativity flow through them? So my encouragement to you is follow that passion. And listen to God. The second, the, rather the third aspect of our ethos, the spirit. Eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. Listen for God. It, if you can hear him speak to you, it may clarify what your destiny is. It may give you enough of a, a boost of an encouragement, boldness and courage, faith, to actually risk and go for it. So listen. Well, and that kind of leads me to the, what I shared last week. If, if you weren't here, I shared some prophetic insights for the year. And that message is online. Even my sermon notes are online. If you, if you want to look at that. But I gave a verse for 2017. And it's John 10, 27. <coughs> it says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Boy, you could, you could just, you know, tape that to your bathroom mirror. Put that on your refrigerator. As you, be, as you go after following your destiny, listen and follow. Listen for his voice. Because he speaks. My sheep listen to my voice. That's saying he speaks. You know, we have, a, we have a God who communicates. All of scripture is testament to the fact that we have a God who initiates communication with his people. How many times in scripture does an angel show up and the first thing they say is be not afraid? Right? Because when an angel shows up, it freaks you out, man. Right? But that's God initiating communication. The shepherd speaks to his sheep. And we know we're his sheep because we listen to his voice. He says that he knows us. And we follow him. So my encouragement to you is this. If you're unsure of what your destiny is, spend some time listening. Spend some time with your heavenly father who loves you with a great and lavish love. And hear what he has to say. And don't be surprised if he blows your mind. If he tells you things that your first reaction to is going to be, I can't do that. Well, that's impossible. How do we know that we've dreamt God-sized dreams? Because they require God to bring them a pass. Right? If we, can, if we can pool our resources and make it happen ourselves, it's really too small. It's not God-sized. If we collectively put together all of our resources to make it happen, it's still too small. We know it's a God-sized dream when it's beyond our resources when it's beyond our ability, when it requires his um, uh, initiating, when it requires him being involved in the process, it requires his provision to make it happen. And sometimes we need help learning how to listen. You know, and part of my journey is to help people do that. But I tell you, once you can hear his voice, it's so loving, it's so kind, it's so powerful, that it's really hard to resist. When you know you've heard from him, 
Some people walk away and say, no, that happens. But when you know that he loves you, and you know that you heard his voice, it's really hard to resist it. But you might be saying, hey, Tom, you know, 20 years ago that fit and that made sense to me, but you don't know what's happened to me since then, or five years ago, or last week, I messed up really bad. What if on the way to my destiny I, I mess up, I fall into sin, I make some kind of massive mistake or stupid decisions? Well, know this, know this. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking, yeah, well, my time has passed. Maybe that was true at one point, but I've done A, B, and C, and so I'll never get to my destiny now. Listen to me. God's bigger than your mess. He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your, yours and my stupidity. He's so much bigger than your mistakes. A prophetic friend of mine, Larry Randolph, said it this way. I love that he said it this way. He says, God has facted your stupidity into your destiny. <laughs> he knows the end from the beginning. God has facted your stupidity into your destiny. Paul says it, not so bluntly, but he says it well in Romans chapter 8. He says, for we know that in all things, God worked in all things. You know what all things mean? It means all things. Everything. Including our stupidity. Including the worst of our mistakes. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. Destiny. For those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined he also called. And those he called he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You know what justified means? It means just as if it never happened. Just as if it never happened. Just as if it never happened. He really does work all things together for good. Our God is known as a redeemer. He turns our worst into his best. He loves us that much. I believe this with my whole heart, guys. I really do. And I believe it because it is, it is the testimony. My life is a testimony to this truth. I'm the illegitimate son of two poor underage kids from Brooklyn. The skinny kid who got beat up every day after school until the eighth grade. Every day. The teenager who, in his personal rage, beat up his best friend and put him in the hospital. I should have been put in prison for that. Ruptured his spleen. He had to have emergency surgery. The janitor who became a preacher. The 16-year-old who, in utter brokenness, gave his life to Jesus. God had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a destiny for this skinny kid with a funny last name. I stand before you today in new creation. Far from perfect. Make all kinds of mistakes. But my father loves me anyway. And he's never given up on me. Thank you. Our God is a loving redeemer who chooses the flawed likes of Abraham. Moses, and David, and Peter, and Paul, 
Have you read the story of those guys' lives? They made mistakes, man. Some of them made some, some of them killed people, okay? They made big mistakes. God chooses the flaw just like them, just like us. When I was ordained, this is one of the verses I used as part of my ordination ceremony because it fits me so well. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31. This is what Paul writes. So maybe you feel unworthy of a God-given destiny. Consider these words. They certainly fit me. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not. Man, you ain't going to get much lower than things that are not, right? To nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has also become from us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Listen to me today. Maybe you're like me, the weak, the lowly. The things that are, are not. That was me. It's still me in so many ways. But when God chooses you, when his hand is on you, and he's spoken to your heart, when from his throne he declares over your life his purpose, that means your destiny is not beyond your reach. It's not too late. Our God is more than able. Scripture tells us that when we're weak, he's mighty and strong. So this is, this is part of my personal and our corporate ethos, that we have God-given destinies that we want to fulfill and we want to help other people do the same. This message, for me, is all about motivating you, encouraging you, spurring you on to love and good works, as Scripture would say, for your own calling and purpose and destiny. I want to... We want to fulfill our God-given destinies and help others do the same. So my passionate exhortation to you is this. Listen to the voice of God. And then go for it. Follow wherever he leads. Take the trip. Write the book. Make the phone call. Pick up the paintbrush. Write the song. Escape your comfort zone. Create. Innovate. Invent. Risk. Dream. Trust God. Whatever it is that he speaks to you, do it. Because you were created for this. You absolutely were. John, would you come back up? Let's pray. Oh God, give us ears to hear you. Lord, I know that you're always speaking. Give us ears to hear you, oh God. And Lord, give us grace to follow you when when we do hear your voice. Lord, I pray for my friends today. Encourage the discouraged. Give us hope. Especially for those who are feeling hopeless. Especially, Lord, for those who are discouraged about their calling and destiny. Give us hope. Lord, stoke our passions today. Pour fuel on our fire. I pray, Lord, prophetically, 
that you would release revelation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Reveal our God-given destinies. And, oh God, we thank you so much for factoring our stupidity into those destinies. Thank you, Lord. Now, before John leads us in a final song, does anybody have words and knowledge? I know sometimes God speaks during a service and there's revelation about maybe someone who'll need prayer today. Does anybody have anything they'd like to share this morning? say was was destiny come forth destiny come forth so I just want to pray this over you guys um I just saw him like stirring up hunger and stirring up passion and reigniting fires things that maybe you might have lain down that are connected to your destiny and he just wants you to pick them back up again So, Father God, I just pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that you stir up hungers, that you stir up passion, that you reignite fires that may have gone out, Lord, um, that you stir up the things in our hearts and the things in our minds and the things in our spirits, Lord, that you placed in us that are connected to our destinies, Lord. We just say, destiny, come forth. Destiny, come forth. Yes. In Jesus' name. Come forth. Come forth. Just say it over yourself right now. Destiny, come forth. Destiny, come forth. That's it. The other thing that I got um, was the sense as Tom was talking, I don't know who this is for, if it's somebody in the room or if it's somebody that knows somebody, but I got the sense that somebody was wrestling with their faith in that they haven't bought into the fact that Christ is Christ. Like, they might be dabbling in other spiritual forms, because I've studied some other religions, and, you know, there are other religions that say that somebody's going to return, like Buddha or whoever. And I'm getting the sense that somebody is wrestling with that. If you want to come forth, if you know somebody, you can come forth. If not, then we can just pray over it right now. Um, God, that you just cut away the confusion you cut away the confusion and the lies of the enemy that come to say that you are not Lord. Lord. We just raise you up in this person's mind, in this person's body. Just raise you up right now. I don't know how else to pray for this. I just got a really big sense that it was like somebody was really wrestling with this. Like, how do I know that God is God? How do I know that, you know... I'm really serving the one true God. Mm. Carolyn? Yeah. Oh, 
Okay, that kind of the flip side too of the coin that she was talking about. She talked about receiving from the Lord. And I really felt in the middle of the night well, last night, the Lord woke me up and he gave me a scripture. And he talked about his yoke and what his yoke was like. And um, I really felt it again this morning several times during our service that he was saying there's, there's things that we've got to let go. We've got to just say, this is not from the Lord, it's not his yoke, and we need to just like literally take a sword and cut it off. And ask God for grace. And for each person in this room, that yoke is going to look different. But I, I encourage you today to go home and ask the Lord, what is that yoke? Because I think everybody in this room, God is speaking to us in some way about that, in some capacity in our life. Because um, I, I don't usually get woken up with that kind of a stride of a thought, that strong in the middle of the night. And I felt it all during the service. So it's the pouring in that I believe we can have expectation for, but it's also, what is he cutting off, right? Um, he said he doesn't want a double-minded people. He wants a single-minded in the things that he has for us. And I think it really applies to the destiny piece that Tom was talking about today. To really know who we are, sometimes we've got to know who we're not and believe what God says about us. So be encouraged, folks. That's good. So Lord, I pray that you would um, release the spirit of truth, that we know the truth, and that it would set us free, that we believe who you are, Lord, and that it would help us to let go of the things we were never intended to carry. Through it, Lord. So if you need prayer this morning, if you want prayer for any of those things that were shared, I invite you to come on up as John leads us in the final song. If you need help discovering, you want prayer so you can discover your personal destiny. Pray up. Come on up. We'll be happy to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything today, come up during the final song and we'll pray. God, you're the 